Episode nine. Here we are. I got to say, before I start with this interview, I was a little nervous to interview Kelly Wilde of Trixie Delight. Now, that doesn't make any damn sense. I've known Kelly since I started at Casey back in 2008. And we actually go into that. She remembers the first time we met, which I'm so happy she remembered and she brings up. But I've known her for a while, but I, I've always, I've gone out to her shows because she's such a great singer and I love her band. They do all sorts of great covers from like Lady Gaga to uh, Metallica. And so I've always been a fan of her band, but to know her personally, I don't know her as personally as maybe others do. So I was a little nervous. I don't know everything about everybody I interview. Uh, and even though Kelly is one of the nicest human beings you'll meet in St. Louis, I I look up to her so much. So I was I was a little intimidated so, but we warm up. I, I warm up to it because she is just so fabulous. But we talk about everything. We actually kick off the conversation with getting kind of into the nitty gritty of being a female in the entertainment business, in bands, in radio, in TV. We go into depth a little bit about that and how physical appearance is such a thing for everybody. And that blows. So I think uh, if you're male listening to this and maybe you've never had to deal with that in your own life, which I'm not saying that they don't, um, have a little bit of empathy for chicks that are on a stage of any capacity and performing. And she tells a story about a certain show that she had. And I just I want to just slap these people. Anyway, this is an interview that we did inside the Casey Studios. And I did this because, A, I want you to hear Kelly's voice. She has such a cute, lovely speaking voice. Go see her at a live show and listen to that voice on a stage singing to you both male and female songs. It will blow you away. And secondly, I did see some reviews on my podcast that I guess the uh, cafe interviews, the sound quality wasn't as pleasurable to listen to. And so I take that into account. So I'm hoping that maybe we'll do some more interviews in studio type of places. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Kelly Wilde of Trixie Delight. Here we go. first people that came to mind for me to do this based really? on your wow. band obviously Trixie Delight but also you specifically because of your voice thank you so much I have been just so proud watching your career really yeah like uh, my band was playing at Babylon and you were interning at Keishi and you were like setting up tables for like some contests there and yeah. Katie was there yes. and I was just like thinking the other day about just watching you go from that to what you do every day. I mean, you are my favorite female voice on the air. Thank you. Really. And I mean, there are a lot of really good female voices in St. Louis, but you just have this genuine thing in your voice mm -hmm. and like you always sound happy. And I know that you're not always happy. I mean, right. nobody can be always happy. Hell no. But it never shows in your voice. <laughs> Thank you, know? you for saying and that. That's so, a really nice yeah, compliment. Yeah, no, I'm just so proud. Yeah, it's weird. I think about that. So this is my 11th year with Casey, which is... Has it been that long? Oh, my gosh. It's really nuts. And it's uh, it's a weird business. I mean, you know a lot of people in radio, and it's, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, it's pretty turbulent sometimes. I mean, but to be honest, like, this last, um, like, couple of years has mm -hmm. been some of the easiest years for me specifically because I've... I've just felt kind of like this weight off of me because I feel like um, it's a all businesses seem to be male dominated, but radio business specifically, there's so much male energy out there for it. Mm -hmm. And to be a woman in radio is hard because you have, you know, for a while it was like you have to fit a niche 
And I just, I was not doing like the sexy thing and I wasn't doing right. the idiot thing. And I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't want to fit into any sort of box mm-hmm. that I feel like sometimes the entertainment industry can put women in. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and I'm just so blessed to have John Hewlett by my side every day. Like right. as far I mean, you've known John for a long time yeah. too. Like yeah. he's just one of the nicest men out there and yeah. allows everybody to just be who they are and, you know, has fun with it. So there's a lot of smarmy people in any business. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, not to get on like a me too soapbox, but I always found it weird. Like I remember being a teenager and seeing pictures of Katie, you know, or any other female in radio. And you were right. They had to always look like so oversexed mm-hmm. and everything. And then you would see the men that were in radio, like when you would see them like out at a, <laughs> you know, a live thing. Right. And you'd be like, well, why isn't that the same? Yeah. You know, and I and I just remember feeling this way my whole life, like even watching newscasts. Like, why does Dick Ford get to look like, you know, right a man and you know and he's a little rough around the edges and everything but the women have to be dolled up models practically right and in radio it never made sense to me because it's You're not up. about the way you look exactly on radio. and that's why I got into radio because whenever and I first of all I whenever I was in college I thought okay I'm gonna be a forensic psychologist maybe Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs like finding the murderers <laughs> and like you know digging into their heads and trying to figure them out and then I decided to go into radio and I remember like something that was really appealing to me was the fact that you aren't this is back then you weren't to be seen other than live broadcasts, mm-hmm. but social media is like taking that into an oh, entirely yeah. new realm where, you know, I, I mean, I, I wake up and shower every day and like, you know, do my, I put makeup on and I let my hair air dry on the way into work. But I mean, by no means am I decked out unless I have an interview or something that's special for mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I see these news women and man, like every man that I know We'll watch these chicks on the news. You know, we have the news on everywhere. And the men and the women will just take apart how pretty those women look or mm-hmm. how, oh, they look a little, you know, uh, bloated today or something. And I, right. I just, I feel so bad for, for women like that. That like, just happened recently with a meteorologist, the new lady on Channel 5. Allie. Yeah. Yes. It's so stupid. Yeah. It's really dumb. Well, and, you know, I think that... um I think that, and I'm sure in the music industry, in St. Louis or any place that you're going to play music, don't you feel like there's an added pressure on you? (laughs) How long is this podcast? We have as long as you'd like. (laughs) Let me get into it with you. You know, for those of you that are just like listening and haven't seen my band or haven't seen me, I am a plus size woman. I always have been. I've never fit into that little box of female lead singer with a short skirt and sometimes I throw on a guitar which makes me extra cold no I'm just me and so what still happens to this day even though my band is like pretty well known now we have like 11,000 fans on Facebook none of which I paid for good those are like all genuine (laughs) fans um you know we'll be playing somewhere every once in a while and I'll get up on stage and there's like some young dudes there that don't really know my band or don't know us. And I really have this happen to me. This one guy yelled out before we even started, play some Mama Cass. Oh, my God. And I was like, do you even know one Mama Cass song? Right. You know, but it but it still happens. And it's and it's just so weird to me. Like, I was so happy when Adele came along. 
Yes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because I'm not I'm not singing Christina Aguilera songs and I'm not trying to be sexy. Right. I'm not trying to sell sex or my body or anything. I'm just a singer. Yeah. I'm, I just sing. So yeah, I mean it's it's just kind of weird that it it seems like those kind of people that yell things like that out or don't know me when I'm about two or three songs and they're like, "Oh, I get it." Okay. Yeah. So this well, and that's something that I um, adore about you is that you aren't um, the skirt wearing, guitar hitching, um, size two. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, not that there's anything wrong with that. Absolutely not. It, it seems like it's become what people expect when they see a girl singer in a band, right? Well, and that's what we've on our society as well as I'm sure big wigs across the board at record labels and whatnot have always tried to focus on, okay, you know, we want to make, uh, they, it's not even make it's there. Like I said, there's nothing, like you said, there's nothing wrong with being a size two, having a guitar and having a mini skirt on, Right. but it's, I love Liz Fair. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) It's like, I love that. But whenever it becomes the standard that's what the problem is. Right. There should not be a standard for anybody, like anybody. Like, you know what I'm saying? If you right. have the talent and you are capable of taking a room and bringing the energy and, you know, playing note for note or improvising in your own way that makes it your own and, and then people are enjoying themselves, that's it. That is the only energy that needs to be put out there. Yes. And it's not necessarily about appearance physical appearance you know and it's weird that music has always kind of had that parallel with sex appeal even on the male side too you know I mean you Mm -hmm. think about some of the more legendary rockers that we love that are men like you know I I, Robert Plant comes to mind and his unbuttoned shirt and like his chest and you know that's very sexy and appealing but at the end of the day like if he didn't look like that and have that going for him and he still was able to produce the music that Led Zeppelin was able to do mm-hmm. still would be top-notch entertainment right. you know they, you, they would find something to make sexy about him just like Mick Jagger you know what I always <laughs> <Yeah>. say <laughs> I mean Mick Jagger is kind of sexy in his own way but this is this is the one that always gets me right close your eyes and try to picture the female equivalent of Ed Sheeran right now so she would have red hair yes. maybe not very cute and she'd be chunky yeah would she be famous no, probably. I mean, I can't think of a person like that that comes right. to mind. So, and then and then you probably think like if there is a redheaded lady out there that is the female equivalent of Ed Sheeran trying to make her local band happen, or, you know, <laughs> right. and she'll drive herself nuts probably trying to fit into that box to be successful just so people will hear her lyrics and her words and yeah. everything that she has to put out there. Right. It's a damn shame. Oh, you'd be so pretty if. If. Yeah. Right. I was... um just to keep on this for a second, I was a total nerd in high school. Like I, well, actually I, I moved to Columbia high school, uh, like eighth grade, I moved to Columbia. My mom got remarried and I moved away from all my friends and I was going through this really kind of like transitional phase of myself, like really found music through that move. Cause I didn't really have anything else to really keep me sane. And, mm-hmm. um, people made fun of me and bullied me whenever I moved there. Cause I looked like the band Hanson. I always had like the, <laughs> is this, no way. yeah, like I had like, hair straight like kind of like how I look now only like not dyed and I didn't wax my eyebrows at the time and stuff and I looked and I wore um you know kind of ambiguous clothing I never really mm-hmm. was very girly or very boyish and so uh you know I I was just there and I've always had like 
friendly nature about me, but they didn't. Some people that at the school saw me and were like, oh, you know, we're going to sing Mbop to you, you know, and like really drilled into me that wow. first year. And I remember being so depressed and, um, you know, but I didn't let it, I didn't let it ruin me. I still had a good spirit and I ended up making friends eventually. And, um, anyway, what's funny is cut to, uh, like senior year. And I, I mean, I had dominated friendships. Like I, I was friends with everybody at school, even those people that bullied me, like, just took everybody in. I, I mean, I didn't have an enemy, or at least in my opinion, I didn't have an enemy at school. Like yeah. I just loved everyone. And I, I got voted prom queen. Wow. And the chicks that I was up against for prom queen, the gorgeous smoking hot blonde named Heather. Cheerleaders. Cheerleader. Mm-hmm. You know, the smart, amazingly eloquent, like gorgeous, you know, straight A chick. Um, the, you know, the, the hippie chick that was like Mm -hmm. down. And then here I am like this journalism geek who was like (laughs) the sober driver of her friends mostly and like, just, you know, loved everybody. And I got voted prom queen and I thought, holy crap, like, you know, the underdog has won Mm -hmm. and that's so neat. And, you know, it wasn't like a carry situation. Like nobody like rigged (laughs) it apparently. So... (laughs) You know, no pig's blood. So it was really cool. And I, so I always tell like people that are down their luck or down on their looks. And it wasn't that I was like smoking hot ace babe. Mm-hmm. It was literally because of the energy I was pushing out to people. And because I always thought the golden rule has always been true. Treat others how you wish to be treated. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's such a neat thing to, to push out there and see what comes back. Yeah, it, it really is. And you know what? If I could just like, we've had three teenagers in our house between my husband and myself and something that I've told each one of them at different times when you can tell that something's weighing really heavy on them like the Hanson thing you were just talking about you have to drill into a teenager's head this isn't going to last forever and in a few years what you're feeling right now is going to seem so small yeah it's really not as heavy as it feels right now oh yeah totally because it's so hard when you're going through that stuff when you're a teenager. It's your whole world. Mm-hmm. It's where you show up to every day. Yeah. You know, could you imagine being an adult and being bullied at work? Right. I mean, that's what kids are going through in school. And they're learning. They're they're coming into their own just like everybody around them. And it's a really yeah. chaotic time if Trying you really to figure think out about who you are. It. Yeah. And, and really, you know, um, and it, especially to be a teen in the, these last 10 years, I feel even worse than what like you and I and our generations mm-hmm. have dealt with, you know? And I really do feel for a bunch of the kids that are going through middle school and high school right now, you know, cause I think, I feel like in college or whatever, you know, when you go to work or maybe going to the military, whatever the option is for people, once they get done with high school, um, it's a little bit more refined in how, um, the people you're around treat you and how you treat others. Like you're real, everybody's kind of figuring it out on that next level where it's more productive seeming high school. Mm-hmm. Some people just coast and don't care. <laughs> some people really care, you know, yeah. some people think that that's all they have. And I think that on top of all of that, that's just normal from so many generations, the idea of putting the extra pressures of now everything can be recorded mm-hmm. and you know, there's blackmail going on and it's just, there's so much other Somebody Facets. can take a picture of you in a locker room. Yes. And just put it up. I mean, it's just so weird. It is so strange. I can't, I'm, I'm so thankful I don't have to be in high school right now. <laughs> Me too. You know? Me too. Well, I wanted to talk to you about your band. Now, Trixie Delight's been around since 2001. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Almost 20 years. Yeah. Isn't that freaky? That's so <laughs> For weird. For a cover band. Right. You know what I mean? How did it start? So it started because my best friend, Leslie, uh, she goes by Leslie Craig, but around St. Louis back then, she was known as Leslie White. We were in a band called Boom. Mm-hmm. And that band played out at the Marriott West every Saturday night. I mean, sorry, every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But every Saturday night, Y98 used to do this disco broadcast yeah. from there. Do you remember that at all? I don't. Okay. So. Uh, I wish I did, though. We were like a house band there. <laughs> so we played at the same place every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. This came out of the Rupert's band, which was right next to the old arena, both of which are not there anymore. <laughs> but so. She and I started this band when we got out of Boom, and she came up with the name, Trixie Delight. She said, do you want to start this band with me? We'll have two girl singers, and, you know, our voices are so different. And I said, yeah, that sounds good. And so we had our first gig in 2001, and it was really cool because we were, like, the only band around St. Louis that I knew of that had two female singers. And, you know, her style is completely different than mine, but they do cross over in some areas. And then... You know, she left and went to Nashville because she had written a country album and, you know, she played at Tootsie's for like eight years and the band evolved into something else while she was gone. So it kind of became this, what's going to be our thing? Well, you sing songs like dudes as well as the dudes on the record and you turn heads like people can't believe that's you singing Creed or Pearl Jam. And so that just kind of became our thing. And then... We started branching off more into like taking dance songs like Lady Gaga or Adele or Amy Winehouse or something and making them sound rock. Yeah. Yeah. Or Lord. We do Royals by Lord, but we do it like in your face rock. Oh, I love that. that. So it's fun. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a wild ride. I'm the only original member of the band anymore. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) But I mean, that happens, you know? Yeah. How is that? I I just started in a band. I'm I literally have always so wanted to be in a band. That. I am not a, a singer by any means, but I am slowly learning my voice. Mm-hmm. And the, I could help you with that, by the way. I want you to. I need all the help I can get because honestly. I can't teach people how to sing. I can't teach you how to la 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 la. I mean, right. I can't teach you that, but I can teach people how to find their strength in their voice. Yes, and what songs they should be picking like I started picking songs for my guitar player and he said I never thought I could sing these songs like he sings Possum Kingdom yeah and he said I would have never thought I could sing that song but anyway I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt but I would love to help you with that well and I'll get back to that because my drummer so the way that I even started in this band this there's three guys uh um there's three guys I know Tom Rogers he's a drummer uh, Richard Lachal and then Mark Pollock. So all these guys have known each other for a very long time. I only knew Tom and I knew him through, we worked on a commercial together like mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And I remember telling him when I learned he was a drummer, I'm like, oh, I wish I could be in a band. I've always wanted to be. And so he held on to that little thing that I said to him a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And then th- these guys had their lead singer who moved on to something else. And Tom messaged me and said, hey, would you like to come in and audition to sing? And I said, yeah, like, this is going to be a nightmare, but absolutely. <laughs> Wait, what were your audition songs? Um, Well, I picked some Fleetwood Mac because I love Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, does that feel like it's in your wheelhouse? Dreams does. Okay. And The Chain does. There's mm-hmm. certain McVie songs that don't. Sure. It's a little different. Um, But I also love Patsy Cline, and so I brought some Patsy wow. in with me. 
And I brought some, now this is very bold, and I have no reason to even try, but I brought some Temple of the Dog in because I was Holy like, cow. just to see, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I brought those in, and then they had some different songs that they had already had in their set list because mm-hmm. they're a cover band too. Mm-hmm. And so came in, two hours, met these people I'd never met, like kind of nervous, really excited, did it. They were impressed enough to say, hey, come back next week. And so we've been practicing for two months around Mm -hmm. and um I still can't believe it every week that these people want to like actually take a novice and put her inside of this band that they've already had kind of you know and um anyway so but how you were saying that you've picked out songs for people that's what my drummer does because Mm -hmm. he uh he brought in some go-go's for me and uh what else has he brought in? But it was something else that was in my range where I I was like, oh yeah, I would never think I could Mm -hmm, sing that. mm -hmm. And then I did. And I'm like, wow, that was a little bit easier for me than some of the other songs that I've attempted. That's fun. I got to, I have like a million questions now for you. So you've always had like this really great outgoing personality. I've never known you to be, you know, the shy one in the corner whenever we've been at functions together. What was it like for you or you did a gig with these guys, right? No, I no, thought no. I saw something posted. I sang a couple of songs with Mark Close's band. Okay, okay. What was that like for you? That was a dare because Mark was daring me to do it, and I don't. I'm like totally down for dares. Like, mm-hmm. won't back down. Sure. Um, and so I said, "Yeah, I'll totally do that." And so I had one rehearsal with those guys, and it wasn't as comfortable as it was with my guys. Mm-hmm. So that was a bit uncomfortable, and it was out in front of a bunch of people. We had like talked it up on air to kind of make fun mm-hmm. of me. Um, but I had a lot of people in the crowd that were dedicated listeners who were just there for support, who, even if I ruined it, they would still say, oh, it was great. You know, so I wasn't really able to gauge what, how I actually did. Mm -hmm. And there was no audio of that, but it was, um, it was nerve wracking because I have a heart, I have a bad memory as it already is. So for me to get down lyrics is sometimes like, I would love to know your, how you do it (laughs) because you have such a strange, like wide range library of songs that go from pop to metal that, you know, how do you decompartmentalize all these lyrics? It takes me a couple of weeks and then one week, one weekend when we're doing the new song, I forget to bring the lyrics and then I have to make myself remember them. Yeah. But, I mean, everybody has that iPad crutch now that yes. can connect right to your, you know, your mic stand. Some people like it. Some people don't. But, I mean, as long as you don't look like you're reading it word for word mm-hmm. and you're just glancing down at it to remind yourself how the second verse starts, right. I don't think it's a bad thing. Okay. Because I'm really nervous about that. That's the one thing that makes me, like, I don't want people to think I don't love this music and know this music. Right. But I feel like the nerves of having people watch me mm-hmm. in something that I'm completely new at. That's the one thing that I am most concerned with out of all of it. Yeah. So do you feel like when when you got up there with Mark Close's band, did it feel like it was easy for you to look people in the eye when you were singing no, and connect? Absolutely not. Yeah. It takes a while to get that part okay. to where you feel like you're in my house. You know, you look out at people and you're like, welcome, you're at my house. Okay. That's what it, it's kind of Ugh. like. And people absolutely love it when you make eye contact with them when you're singing. I mean, the only time that I never did that <laughs> was when I sang with the Charles Glenn band at the blues parade. Oh my gosh. And we, you know, did they say there was like half a million people mm-hmm. downtown? That was the biggest audience that I've ever looked out at in my entire life and it was overwhelming yeah I couldn't 
look people in the eye. I was actually singing to the buildings downtown. But I was smiling really yeah. big. I knew it was going to be on TV. And I was just like singing to the Hyatt. And I was singing to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it was just, it was too overwhelming to pick somebody out in, in the crowd and look at them. Because it was a sea of people. You are so great at being on stage and connecting. Because I've connected with you at yeah, shows that you've I had. Mean, and I love, you're right. I love that. I love whenever people do that with me. And uh, whenever I'm just a bystander in the crowd and... It's interesting that you you got nervous. Was that like a was that a fresh feeling of nerves? No, no. I get nervous every time I sing. Do you really? I really do. Whether we're playing at Brewski's or Helen's or you know what I mean? I do. And for me, once again, it's in those first two or three songs yeah. where I'm like, Okay, you got this. And I I don't know. I think I think if you're not getting nervous that there's something wrong, but you know, I just don't I, I don't know. It's it's kind of an excitement nerves. Yes. Like like really happy yeah. but also really like oh. And I'm not a trained vocalist by any means. So a lot of times when I get up there, I'm just like, "Okay, what's going to come out tonight? What <laughs> what kind of voice am I in tonight?" Do you ever feel like that when you go on the air? I if you've been a little under the weather. Or... Yeah. Do you feel it well, it's like the Beyoncé thing like Sasha Fierce. Do you feel like you have a presence of yourself that takes over yes. when you're on stage. You know what's funny? I refer to it this way to people that like are really close to me. There's Kelly Wild mm-hmm. and there's Kelly Mild. <laughs> the week, you know, I'm just I'm just me. All yeah. of us that do this, we're just people. Right. You know, Jimmy Griffin has to go to the grocery store and get, yep. you know, toilet paper just like everybody else. <laughs> and so, but we get to do this wonderful amazing thing every weekend or whenever we get to right. do it, you know. So yeah, I was just wondering what that was like for you. If you were able to look at anybody oh, in the no. audience, it'll come to you. It'll happen. It's definitely like an exercise where you have, I, I know I can feel that where it's making sure you're hitting the notes, saying the right words and presenting in a way to people that they are feeling connected to what you're saying and what you're doing up there. And so that, you know, it's multifaceted and it really, this whole experience of getting in a band has made me appreciate deeply more live music. Like I've gone to a couple of live shows since these last two months. And mm-hmm. I uh, think about the people that I know who have been doing this for so long and that don't use tracks that don't use yeah. the shortcuts at a live show. And I, it, it has given me a profound appreciation even more than I had before for live music. Yeah. It's really cool. Thanks. Yeah. And I and I love I've always loved you because you're female and I'm not like that sounds very feminist and anti-male. I love our male counterparts too to this whole situation, sure. but there's something very special about you and I take it back to your voice and how you can sing uh male or female songs. Where did you learn to have more of a masculine sound to your vocals? <laughs> Okay, this is kind of funny. Ever since I was a little kid, I used to mimic voices, whether it was like cartoon stuff or, you know, a character on Sesame Street. I just had this like ability to make my parents laugh, my aunts and uncles by sounding just like something else. Mm -hmm. And when I first got in a band when I was 15, I was singing all, you know, they pushed me to all the Go-Go's and Madonna, Cyndi Lauper. But then when they... When there was a song that one of the guys in the band couldn't sing that was, like, too high for them or something, I said, well, let me try it. And then 
I would sound like the guy, you know, because I wanted to mimic. I don't know why I've always done that. Like, I'm actually envious of singers that are cover band singers that make everything their own. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, to sound like yourself doing versions of these songs. And so... It's just, it's, I don't know, it, it's just, it just did. It started back when I was like 15 That's and, and getting in bands and, and first, you know, trying to do dude songs. But then in the 90s when like grunge came out mm-hmm. and there were like these deeper male voices and songs that you had to have in your set list oh, yeah. if you were a cover band, I was like, okay, I'll try it. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do this and. And I did it like I would be doing a cartoon character or something. And it just, people were just like, that's so weird. I'm looking right at you, but I wouldn't expect that voice. So that's awesome. It just kind of became a thing. And and I'm still like, you know, you can tell I'm, I don't know if I'm happy about it or not. <laughs> because when I go to write my own songs, which I do, yes, I always hear someone else's voice in my head. Like maybe I'll sit down at the piano and I'll start writing. And I hear like Tori Amos's voice in my head, mm-hmm. but I don't hear Kelly's voice. Really? I don't really know what my voice is. Hmm. Isn't that weird? That is strange. <laughs> well, I wonder if that's maybe a comfort thing, though. You know, like where you would say Tori Amos would, she would sing this. Right. And maybe that, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that by any means that it would, that you're hearing it in people that you appreciate so much or look up to or just love their voice so much. I think that's kind of a neat way to write. I used to, whenever I used to write poems or just like when I was a kid and write songs and stuff, like I would always think about rewriting the way that lyrics are stanced in like how, you know, like if you take a song and, um, you know, like uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, so there you go again, you say you want your freedom. Mm -hmm. I would take that song and I would replace the words with different words but keep the same amount of words and try to inflect in the same way that wow that song is written and try to see if I could come up with something. I mean, I don't know if that's copyright or what, but like, you know. <laughs> I guess if it didn't have the same melody. Yeah, if it didn't have yeah. the same melody, for sure. But if it was the same, you know, I used to do that with term papers, too. Like, I would wow. look up, uh, you know, great works of <laughs> educational things that were written and go, okay, well, this works, so let me find a way to, you know, like a paragraph or whatever. Words. I don't right. know if that's plagiarism or not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm admitting to fraud. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, you know, so that was just something that I would try and help me to get the juices flowing. So maybe it's hearing it in other people's vocals makes your makes your creativity thrive a bit maybe, more. Maybe, maybe. Now, you play keys also. Barely. Okay. Now, interesting. I'm getting a piano. Del- I'm My mom's friend is giving me her stand-up piano. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to learn piano, and I've never taken the time to do it, and now there's going to be this old-ass piano in my house, and I'm not right. going to be able to avoid it, you know, and I'm going to have, like, a little old lady come over to my house and hopefully, like, teach me. So how, what, what do you mean by you hardly play, because I feel like you do play, <laughs> like, how, where, how did you learn keys? I'll put it to you this way. I can learn a keyboard part, like, if we do a Muse song or, um, that, but if somebody said, play Tiny Dancer by Elton John, I can't go, do 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 I mean, I can't play like that. Okay. So... Um, you know, if I took lessons, I probably could. And I've had a couple of keyboard player friends of mine. Um, Jim Wolf from Super Jam said, I could give you a couple lessons and have you playing like that. You would. You would just pick it up really easy. Yeah. 
I've learned everything by ear my whole life. Wow. So uh, I can read like the chords at the top of a tab that they tell the guitar players to play. Okay. And I know those chords, you know, I know what a C it is and what a G is, but, um, but I can't read the notes, like the actual written right. t- tab notes. It looks like Chinese to me. Me too. <laughs> you know, if yeah. somebody said, what note is this? I'll give you $100 if you tell me. <laughs> I'd be like, that $100 is never going to be mine today. <laughs> well, that yeah. makes me feel better a little bit. Because, like, I can't read music, like, at all. Like, I look at even, you're talking about the chords and seeing how everything's broken down and written in uh, notes. I, I look at that and, like you said, like, it's it's just so foreign to me. And I, I even tried to study music where I've had mm-hmm. classes in college where they just kind of the beginner's course of it and it's still never connected with me. Um, and so I always thought like maybe I'm a lost cause for, <laughs> for learning music, but I, so, there is something so uh, soulful and human connecting about a piano to me where yeah. I just feel like the way that just how it is, the keys, how large, you know, a keyboard is, how, um, how hard you hit them, how, how soft hard, you hit them. Yes. Yeah. I love the idea of like Lady Gaga, Elton John, how they get their oh, foot up yeah. or, you know, and I love like the, um, intensity that can come with a piano. And it's not to say that isn't like drums and everything else, but to me, there is just something so legendary about a piano. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've had such a deeper appreciation for it as I've gotten older. Like I'll listen to the classical I have all this classical music piano music on my iPod where I'll just I mean I, I feel like Hannibal Lecter listening to like the <laughs> the classic music the classical music but um there is something just so damn gorgeous about it now do you think that your ear you know you learn to sing these songs by ear right whether you know that or not so do you think that when you have this piano that you're going to be able to go and find that note on the piano. I like, hope to. Mm-hmm. I hope to, and Kelly. Keep, <laughs> I, I think you will. And I, I mean, that's how I started playing. Actually, wow. was and then and then you just figure out if you use your ear, you can kind of just figure out well, what are the rest of the other two notes in that chord, mm-hmm. or the other three notes in that chord? And yeah, you can kind of figure it out. I think if you take lessons, you'll be really good. Oh, I'm gonna do it. I'm yeah, so jacked. Like. Don't, don't we all just want to be Lady Gaga, though? Yes. Every day, I'm, like, I'm going to be at my house with, like, a sequin bra top and, like, no pants. And I'm just going to be, you know, no having pants. a day. <laughs> That's a pretty normal day anyway. Um... <laughs> I was almost taking a drink when you said that. So I want to talk about set list because I, I'm, again, totally new to any sort of bandom, like having anybody mm-hmm. in a band. How do you put together a set list? Like, how do you specifically, like, for Trixie Delight, do you and the guys get together beforehand and say, okay, we're playing, you know, Helen's, and we know what type of crowd this is going to be. What are we going to open the show with? This is something that I've always been a little bit of a control freak about. Oh, good. When I first got in bands when I was 15, I was in bands with guys that were all older than me. They were, like, in their late 20s and 30s, and they did the set list, and they picked the songs that I was going to sing. And then as I got a little bit older and then I started one of my first bands when I was like maybe 18 or 19, I decided what I was going to sing. And then I decided, well, I should also, you know, decide what order we're going to play the songs in. Now, sometimes the guys in the band will come to me and say, I can't play Panama this early in the night or whatever. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm not warmed up yet. Yeah. And I always take that into consideration. But um, 
I have just always been such a huge music fan. Like, I cry when I go to concerts. Me too. And I was interested in every part of it from what the sound man was playing before the band would come on. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is cool. I haven't heard these songs before, you know, but they're really cool and they're making a vibe happen to what the band actually opened up with. And so I've always just been like very interested in that. And then I tried to bring it into my own band. So you want the night to flow, right? I mean, I just think of what I would want if I was in the audience. I'd want the band to open up with something cool because nobody's going to be really dancing in the first two songs, three songs. And then I would definitely want like a slow song in the middle of the set somewhere. And sometimes I wait until like the the third from last song to put a slow song in. It just depends on the venue. Yeah. And, you know, the crowd. When you're playing a private party, I kind of let them dictate what they want because it's their party. Right. And I coach them a little bit if they're kind of going off the rails. <laughs> but I do. I let at private parties. I let them pick 20 songs from our song list that they want to hear that night That's and cross cool. out anything you don't want played. Because Sweet Child of Mine might be like a song that reminds her of her ex-boyfriend and it's being right. played at her wedding, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I I do that. But no, I, I love making up the set list because you feel like you're designing the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do it in the afternoon ahead of the gig. That's really neat. And I just kind of picture the songs being played in that order on stage. Talking about vibe of a crowd, I mean, what is the worst type of crowd to have? It has changed so much over the years. I mean, it makes me almost cringe to say that I've been doing this for like 30 years, 30 plus years probably, but when the worst kind of crowd to have is one that's not paying attention for one like when phones came out mm-hmm. you know and everybody had their phone it's like whoo that's rough yeah there's two rough parts about that actually the one of the rough parts is the people that are looking at their phone that can't stay off facebook that are like addicted to social right. media or whatever the other rough part is the people that are recording everything you're doing yeah or you know you start doing a song that they really like if I happen to be a little bit sick or a little bit off that night, that's on the internet forever. Yeah. You know, me not hitting the note in Barracuda or whatever. Right. So it's the worst kind of crowd to play for, I think, is <laughs> maybe maybe after the Cardinals lose. I don't know. I don't know how to really – I don't know if there's one worst crowd to play for, but – It's out there. There's plenty of there's them. There's plenty out there. Right. I think – you know, we we talk about this in the band all the time. You have those gigs that are like soul punch gigs. That's what we call them. Soul punch in a bad way or a good way? Soul punch in a bad way. Like, oh, man, the crowd wasn't into it. And we felt like we were playing as good as we did any other night. Yeah. But there was just something that wasn't right. And also, we can't control what the sound man's doing, right? So yeah. we don't know if he's making it sound like Duke out there. <laughs> so um, the other times are the times like... We just played Oktoberfest in St. Charles, and I could have stopped singing at any moment, and the crowd was singing every lyric. That's cool. And I took video of that when we were doing Enter Sandman and put it up on our <laughs> Facebook page. But, yeah, I mean, you just it, you have good ones and you have bad ones, you, and you really can't control it. I mean, you can try. Right. I can try to lift the crowd and bring them up to a frenzy. And work myself up into a frenzy trying to do that. Mm-hmm. I could jump off the stage with my mic and go stroll through the crowd or whatever. But really, it's it's just a thing. It's yeah. just a feeling in the room. 
And either it's a good one or it's a, whoo, this isn't oh, so great. Man. I'm going to be in hell. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so hard not to take it personal when it's oh, not a good night. Totally. I'm in the business of taking everything personal. <laughs> However, I I will say that like eight years into doing radio and performing every day on yeah. air, like th- there's good days and bad days too. Like where, you know, you'll have a really terrible show. Just everything about it's just falling not apart. Clicking. It's not clicking. The you know, John and I are normally having great chemistry. That we have our off days where one of us is just not into it as much or mm-hmm. whatever, and. Um, then you have the days where the haters will get involved and get in a little bit too close than you want them or, you know, or just technical issues or whatever. And for me, I mean, it's been a, it's been a growing process with trying to make sure, Hey, thicken the skin up a bit, realize it's not personal, realize opinions are not facts and people are going to be jag bags. If you can carry that over into your band, you have to, I mean, will, oh my God. Yeah. Especially starting out. Can you imagine? I mean, you said you were 15 when you started. Yeah. Okay. I am going to be 35 in March. <laughs> and I think we're going to play our first live show in January. Mm-hmm. And I've I've, uh, st- I've strategically have set this in a place that is full of love for me already where I'm like, okay, I'm going to go into this without being baptized by fire. We're going to go into it with like a little bit of comfort around it. Mm-hmm. Um Imagine being your 35-year-old self and uh, always wanting this and then coming into it not knowing what the hell you're doing and and being a full-grown, capable adult who is somebody who is has some notoriety. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm very interested to see what this does to me personally, not for anyone else to see, but just on the internal that I won't ever talk about to people. Like I'm sure I'm you've thought about see. it a bunch, too. I have. Yeah. Like... How you picture yourself dressing for that yep. gig, how you picture yourself moving around yes. while you're singing. People just don't realize how much of that is. Some people are just naturals at it. Like, can you imagine somebody telling, uh, I'm old, I can't remember the singer of Stone Temple Pilots' name, Scott right Wyland. Thank you. Can you imagine somebody telling Scott Wyland, like, how to move or right. I mean you can tell that that just naturally that was came him. out of him that way the way he moved right the way he swiggled yes all of that I, I am not that I don't have that kind of confidence in me I have some confidence do you but... move I, I can't I do you have like a move that you do <laughs> as I'm, I as I'm I kind of go back because, and forth because I am totally fine with my weight but I, I like joke around that like when I start moving around too much I start feeling like Chris Farley when he's auditioning for the Chippendales no. <laughs> I feel like I, I do no I mean like I don't know like larger bodies just don't move the same way that slender sexual bodies are you know but Lizzo's kind of changing that isn't hell she? yeah she is oh my gosh don't I tell her, her anything more. yeah oh. I couldn't love her more um <laughs> but I I don't know I mean it's just I move I don't know I've been doing this so long that I don't really think about it anymore I just get up there no I can't say that I do think about it because I watch other entertainers mm-hmm. and I pick things that I like that they did and I kind of say to myself that I, I want to start that. doing that. Keep yeah. that. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. I think about how, because playing with Mark Close, that was the only time that I've ever had. Well, actually, no, I take that back. I played tambourine at one of your shows way back. <laughs> you did. At uh, House of Rock in South <laughs> County. That was my birthday, too. Eve show. 
when you were in oh, your little tap right. pants. And yes, and I believe you lifted up. I had those sequin uh, undie pants on, and <laughs> I think I mooned that crowd that night, which you was, did. It was fantastic. Great. I'll probably do that again on my own see, show. Um, but <laughs> no, I I've only been able to really see. I have like one picture my husband took at your show at House of Rock where I got up there and played tambourine, and it's this. I love this picture of me. It's a. Uh, I am in pure euphoria. I am probably drunk. I it's my birthday. My hair was on point. I had a great little outfit on and I'm up there with you guys who I just love so much and I'm playing tambourine and Tim took this picture that was just an action shot. I'm all blurry, but I love it because it's like I was so in the moment and feeling like I was a part of your band for just a split second and that was like the coolest thing ever. Aww. And um and so I have that photo where I know how I look in that, you know, t- mm-hmm. playing tambourine. But then my friend Malia also took some photos of me playing with Close's band, and she I saw that. Yeah, and they were beautiful photos. She's a photographer, and I thought, first of all, these are looking like way too good for what's actually. But you know, I. <laughs> but she has this. She took one photo of me where I'm like really into singing. I was singing um, "Honky Tonk Women" by the Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. and I look like I'm so into it. And I was like, that was interesting because I didn't feel like I was completely into it when I was singing it. Really? And so it was cool that that was kind of a fake out, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, because I don't necessarily love that song as much as everybody else. And they, the band picked that song for me to sing. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, whatever. And um, I, so I, I am very body conscious about what I'm going to appear like up there. And in rehearsal, Are you going to have fans blowing your hair? Oh God, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> if it'll help. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something that I do to this day. And oh man, I wish it wasn't such a crush for me, but it is. I do a shot before almost every show. Like, there are a lot of casinos that we play at that Mm -hmm. we can't drink. And it feels weird to me to go out there and do that first song without a shot. Yeah. But it just takes the edge off my nerves. Yeah. You know? I have a bottle. I'm not kidding. me down. Jack Daniels. I don't even like whiskey. I have a bottle of Jack (laughs) Daniels because I let it coat my throat Mm -hmm. every uh, time we practice in my bassist's basement. Is it just Jack Daniels? It's just Jack Daniels. The honey Jack Daniels is what I'd go to. Really? Because that does Coat like leave throat. a little coating there. Okay. I will definitely be looking into that. The honey Jack Daniels. Because I just thought like the warmth of it I want. And then I tried to bring tea one uh, rehearsal and I and it was like making me, I don't know, there was like little remnants in my throat and I thought this isn't working. So, But they thought, <laughs> they're like, you know what? You're going to turn into Janice if you keep this Jack Daniels situation up. But I don't get hammered or anything. Be, I just be secret. It has yeah. to be private. Yeah, or people worry. Yeah, I know. They really did. They're like, oh. The lead singer of Iron Maiden said that he always drank American beer, and it made his voice feel better. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I Maybe because it's difference. so watery. I yeah, don't know. There's so much hydration in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a, uh, you have, just Maddie's your own child, right? Maddie is my only child that I've given birth to, yes. Yes. <laughs> so, and she is a musician. She is. And how cool is it to birth someone who is sharing in the love of music like her mom? I knew that music had gotten me through so many times in my life, times that I didn't feel like being on the planet anymore. I mean, I think everybody can relate to that, that I wanted. I think music was going to be a part of her life anyway, because I sang till I was eight months pregnant. So she heard Everything. everything. And my voice, of course, was resonating through my body, but also... 
as she was being formed in my womb, I would place headphones on my belly and I would play her Beatles and Beethoven. I love that. <laughs> because I wanted her to know like really good music yeah. and not just whatever pop song I had to be singing at that time. But um, she took piano lessons when she was younger and then, you know, she took violin. But then when she got into high school, she started singing. And we are two completely different singers. Mm. And I had to tell her this. I'm like, look, if I ever pull you up on stage to sing or if you're in the crowd, there's always going to be somebody that goes, you sing like your mama. Do you sing like that? And I said, you have to be comfortable in your own voice because we are not the same. She went through college and became like a classically trained opera singer. Wow. And she knows how to sing correctly. And she will give me pointers. That's cool. When I'm having trouble making something come out, she'll tell me little exercises to do because she went through all of the vocal music education like that. And now she is an elementary school music teacher. That is so awesome. And she loves it. And she's so happy. And I'm so happy for her. Yeah. You know, she's making a difference in little lives every day. Well, and and the kids that are your kids, but not your birthed children, Cubby's kids. Yes. So um, are are they musicians too? Because dad is a musician. Well... His oldest son, Gabe, is okay. plays bass and drums and sings a little bit. And Jaden is, like, kind of musically inclined in, like, the production era okay. area. He's more into hip-hop and stuff. Cool. So he's more about creating beats and things. But So I guess that's musically inclined. What does – I mean, that house has to when – when everybody's home and <laughs> we're all together, what, you're how, I mean, is, is everybody jamming together? Has that ever happened where all, all five – are all four of you – five? Four. Five. Five of you are jamming. <laughs> <laughs> well, three of us have – what's really fun is um, the whole their whole lives, we've had band practice at our house. The drums, the bass, everything's set up. And sometimes they were falling asleep to us having band practice. So <laughs> It's so opposite of, like, normally it's the parents. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there were times that they would just sit down there and watch how a band learns a song, like mm. how everybody comes in with their part and how it comes together. That's I learned cool. a lot being in Boom. That yeah. was like a big 10-piece band. Oh, wow. Horns and everything. Five lead singers, you know, that would rotate, and you would go to sing backups. And when they would rehearse... The band would rehearse the music, and the singers would be off in another room rehearsing the vocal parts. That's cool. And then the two would come together, and it was just really interesting to learn that way. I love that name, Boom. Where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know where it's they a great came name. up with it. <laughs> it's an awesome name for a band. I, I and going back to Trixie, Trixie Delight was that a porn? Was that one of those like porn name generators? <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> so great. So. So Leslie, who actually like started the band and said this is her idea, she said, I always wanted to have a band called Trixie Delight. And I was like, mm, I've never really liked that name. And we kind of got stuck with it because we got popular. Mm-hmm. This is where the name came from. The movie Paper Moon. Heard of it. Madeline Kahn's character is Trixie Delight. She is, okay. a, I think, a lady of the night. But That's yeah. kind of fun. I'll have to watch. I've, you're like the third person this week to reference Paper Moon to really? me. Really? Yes. It's a great movie. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I'm, now I have even more intrigue to watch it since <laughs> Trixie Delight comes from there. Well, I think you are one of the strongest leading vocals in St. Louis. I don't put you in a category male, female. I just think Thank that you. you are strong up there. You, you, Mark Quinn, um, 
oh my gosh, Matt McInerney. I love his voice. Yeah, too. yeah. I, you know, I just there's. I'm a big fan of Dave Farver from Super Jam. And Dave Farver. Oh my god, I love Dave. You just Farber. listen to him sing Boston. And you're like, is he really going to hit those notes? He, and he is does. an anomaly. That man. Yeah. First of all, he's as tall. His legs are taller than I am. <laughs> I'm five foot three. He is so kind. Him on the sax. Him on a stage singing. Um, he is. I'm so glad you brought him up because he is so talented. And just, um, I think that, oh, I know what I was going to ask, not to stop on Dave, <laughs> but this has to do with Dave and has to do with everybody that we just rattled off. St. Louis has such a, and maybe you've noticed, maybe not. Do you find that people adore the cover band tribute scene in St. Louis and yet they still complain that there are cover bands and tribute bands in St. Louis? And I, what is your opinion? I do. And I just saw that like in the last couple of days go through my Facebook feed. Really? I think there, I think there are people that love it and hate it, um, and and here's the funny thing, in other cities, yeah. what I do is considered being a tribute band. Where we just say that it's a cover band, yeah. When you're covering music all night long, they they feel like that's a tribute. I remember Cheap Trick saying that to us. We opened up for Cheap Trick under the Arch a long time ago, and they were so nice and everything. And they're like, "Yeah, you do really good tribute." And I thought to myself. We're not a tribute band, though. We're not sticking to one particular band. Right. Um, here's here's a logical thing that I've heard about tr- actual tribute bands is people say you you really shouldn't do a tribute band to somebody who's still alive and is still touring, hmm. that it's kind of cheesy to do that. And I did feel that way when I was doing the Heart Tribute um, a little bit, you know, because we would have to like look when are they coming to St. Louis? We don't want to be doing a show right around then. You know, why would people come see us when they can go see Heart? Sure. But yeah, I do I do feel like it's a love hate thing. It is so weird, especially promoting all the you know, promoting all Monster or Celebration Day or Free City Delight. You know, I look at it and go, whenever I come to see these bands, I'm first a couple of things are going through my mind as a fan of just music and being out there first thing is I'm just there to have fun I'm there to dance or sing along or just be in the presence of live music know people get Mm -hmm. to know the bands get to know the people who are playing this music who appreciate this music as much as I do otherwise they wouldn't be singing it right you're like me though you like to be swimming in it yeah when I go see a band I'm not sitting at the table Mm -mm. in the back if nobody's on the dance floor I'm I'm on the dance floor maybe I'm not dancing but but you're I like to be like right up in yes. it, feeling all the vibration and I yeah you and I are, you and I are in the middle of the yeah absolutely I because there's no other way to me to like I hate sitting down at a live show I hate it yeah I like to be moving um I have usually just the same couple of moves but I but they're damn good moves and so you know I I do I like Tried to be true. in there to have fun but the other thing is is um you know I'm not I, I know that this is not Led Zeppelin when I go see Celebration Day. I am perfectly aware that this is not... Mark Close says they're better than Led Zeppelin and he's seen them live. <laughs> yes, exactly. People and that have actually He knows seen. what he's talking about. <laughs> for real. And it's like, and for me, I wasn't around in the 70s. I didn't have the luxury and the privilege of seeing these bands when they were touring through. So the next best thing for me is to go see people that are playing it and and doing it so well and I really, I do, I get, especially El Monstero, I am blown away. I remember in 2008, I started working at Casey. Tony Boozy Cruz, my boss at the time, 
I was, he goes, you're going to work the merch booth every night for the five nights that El Monstero is playing. This is 2008. I'd never mm-hmm. seen El Monstero. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, El Monstero, what the hell? You know, I've always loved Pink Floyd, but I just never I got never in the scene. I knew why they named it that. And I've been in it a couple of times and I still don't know. I have no idea either. We'll have to ask Kevin or somebody, <laughs> Andy. So I, um, I'm in, they have like, this is back when the merch booths were in the actual pageant, like on either side of the mm-hmm. stage. And so I'm sitting there and, you know, here comes the show and I'm, you know, I am just seeing everything that's happening. Like, here comes Mark Quinn with his crazy-ass outfit on. And I start realizing, like, oh, my God, they're playing playing the album front to back. Mm -hmm. And here we go. And I I sat there with my jaw on the floor for five nights. And the only thing I kept thinking to myself was, I need to get – I have to, like, do something in this show someday. I'm like, I don't care what it is. And I remember meeting Carol Ivich and saying, hey, you need me to, like, just be in the background or, you know, I can sweep or whatever you want. And she's like, actually, you know, we are going to need some kids for another brick in the wall. Do you want to be dressed up as a kid? And I'm like, yes. And so I just jumped Mm -hmm. at it. And then that was the high of my life, just being (laughs) on a stage, a sold-out pageant stage. And not even – I shouldn't have even been up there, but I was. And – um. And then after that, like, getting to do one of my turns in the groupie. Yeah. Uh, Want to take a bath. Oh, God, that was so much fun. And it was just you so were cool. great, too. Thank you. I I loved that. And I'm not, like, a performer in that way, like an actor. But I, I mean, I really gave it all I had, you know, and loved, like, dancing all dirty up there and stuff. There was something really cool about completely losing your inhibitions up on stage. Like, I mm-hmm. understood what uh like probably like a stripper high is mm-hmm. like carry and, that over okay i am i'm gonna in, like to your band i'm gonna bring Just that bring young lust because sometimes you do have to be somebody else yeah you know when you don't feel like being yourself <sighs> i don't know it's it's a really good escape i i'm so excited that you're doing this thank you and i'm gonna probably be reaching out and like needing <laughs> comfort you won't, <laughs> so. you won't be bothering me at all all my love and thanks to kelly wilde isn't she great Ah, go see Trixie Delight if you ever get the chance in St. Louis. They're always around, like every weekend they play. And I can't say enough nice things about Kelly Wilde. She's talented. She's very kind. She's very genuine. She's a great mom. I just adore her. So thank you again, Kelly, for sitting down with me. And thank you for listening to us chat about anything and everything. The December 6th episode, the the last episode of 2019, will be uh, with a man. Obviously, I go girl boy, girl boy each month. And it's actually going to be the man that I married. Uh, Tim is his name, and he will probably not take it very seriously. So it should be pretty entertaining for everybody who either likes awkwardness or maybe knows my husband or maybe just has heard of him if you listen to my shows enough. And it's going to be quite interesting. So um, set your DVRs for that, everybody, December 6th. I hope you have a great rest of your November Thank you, as always, for tuning in and rating and reviewing. Please do that. That way I know how you feel. You can always email me, learn at kc95.com. I will talk to you all December 6th for another episode of the Live and Learn podcast. Peace out, guys. Let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. 
New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton. Motivation that moves you.